Success has a dark side. Failure, as much as we avoid it, failure does have a bright side. Success has a dark side, failure has a bright side. We're gonna start with the failure piece. I've got this picture here, and some of you feel like this is fresh in your heart maybe right now. Something or somebody has knocked you down, right? And failure feels right there inside of you, right? Like you feel it. Some of you, maybe not in this moment, right? The bright side of failure is it's a great ingredient in opening up our eyes to what Jesus is doing and what Jesus has on offer for us. We've been reading in John 21, and we read a little bit ago, I didn't mention it, but the disciples failed all night to catch any fish, and then they realized, oh, that's Jesus. And some of us have stories of trying and trying and failing and failing, and then cluing in and being like, oh, that's Jesus over there. I should go near him. I should do what he told me to do. That's a pretty surface level of the fishing failure. Today we're going to look at Peter, who had failed in a really big way, in a way that I'm sure made him question everything about himself, and it actually probably ripped out a lot of his guts, like ripped out what he believed about himself. But we're going to see Jesus take that failure that Peter had, and Jesus is going to heal him better than he was before. Some of you are here today, and that failure is really fresh, and you're thinking, sign me up for that. Like, I want to be healed. I want to be better. I want to be a better woman than I was before. I want to be a better man than I was before I failed, right? I didn't promise it would be easy, but I said we're going to get to see an example of it, right? Peter doesn't have an easy road, but we're going to get to see Jesus heal Peter's inside condition. It doesn't mean Peter's going to be a perfect man. If you want to read in Galatians, you can see Peter fails after this, right? He's not perfect, but Peter's totally different than he is earlier in the Gospels, right? So if you've got a Bible, turn to John uh, chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. I'm going to leave that up on the slides for just a second, tell you a touch more about Peter. So if you haven't been with us as we're walking through John, Peter's probably this big, strong guy, uh, but he's certainly very confident in himself. He is constantly talking about how he's the best, how no matter who else betrays Jesus, he's not going to betray Jesus. Like, he's very confident that, like, he's got the courage and the loyalty. And it's not all coming out of nowhere. Peter pulls out a sword when there's a big crowd trying to arrest Jesus. Like, Peter tries to stand up for Jesus. But we also know, as we read in John, that Peter denies Jesus three times, saying, I don't even, I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. Like when Jesus is actively getting like beat up and insulted and then about to be crucified, Peter, who said, I'm the best, even if everybody else leaves you, I'll be better than everybody else. He's saying to like a little servant girl and a bunch of other folks like, nope, I don't even know the guy. It's hard to fail. It's, it's even harder, maybe, to fail when you've talked 
about how you're not going to fail, <laughs> right? You made it a habit of saying you're better than everybody else, and then you fail worse than just about everybody else. But I do want to point out right before we even get to this conversation is there's two big failures that same night amongst the 12 guys who were chosen by Jesus to be his like core disciples, and you can heap a bunch of stuff on Judas. Judas does something worse than Peter does. That's true. But Judas not only betrays Jesus in a proactive way, but when Judas realizes he's done something wrong, Judas gives in to despair. Like Judas kills himself. He thinks I'm so bad, which that is actually true but he doesn't stick along, around long enough. He just decides, I'm so bad, and he despairs. And some of you know that temptation from the inside. Satan doesn't have new tricks. Like, he tries to drive people to uh, do terrible things, and then look how bad you are, you should despair. And despair can look a little different than suicide. Not everybody despairs through suicide, but despair is a real temptation. Peter really messes up, but he sticks around. And he sticks around long enough for the miracle, right? We've all heard the AA phrase about like, don't give up before the miracle. Peter doesn't give up before literally the miracle of Jesus rising from the dead. But then when we see today, Peter shows up in this conversation with Jesus. So he's failed but Jesus shows up. Last week we talked about Jesus makes breakfast. So we have this whole breakfast scene plays out. And if you're here today and you're like, I've messed up big time in my life, the first thing Peter does here is he has some quality time with Jesus. And it sets the stage for Jesus to heal his inside condition. So if you're wanting a real quick miracle, but you're not going to spend any time with Jesus, like you're not following the pattern here. Right, like I'm not, I'm not in control of Jesus. He can do quick miracles if he wants. But the pattern here is Peter's in relationship with Jesus. He's spending time with Jesus, and Jesus does the work on his inside condition. Peter's going to be vulnerable, but Jesus does the work. Okay, so John 21, 15 through 17. Let's let's bow our heads and pray before we read. Jesus, thank you that we get to read the Bible today. And Jesus, thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, that you didn't leave us as orphans. And so we ask that through the Bible, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would heal us like you healed Peter. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So John 21, let's see here, starting in verse 15. When they had finished eating, this is talking about Jesus and those guys who had been fishing, some of his disciples. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now that might sound like a strange way to word that question, but if you remember the context, Peter often would say things like, I love you more than all the rest of these guys. Now, if you fail and somebody brings up the way you used to brag, a lot of us want to either get real angry as like a put up a wall, or we want to run away, right? Fight or flee type of thing happens. 
Like you're calling me out for how I've been, how I failed and not in a gentle way. Like a lot of us run from that. If you're wanting Jesus to heal your inside condition, you're gonna have to stay with him even when he starts pressing your buttons of the stuff you don't wanna talk about or the stuff that you're ashamed of. Like Jesus is gonna bring all this, maybe not all the shame up, but sometimes Jesus brings you into stuff where you gotta look at like, yep, that's true and I'm ashamed of it. And if you refuse to look at something that's true about you because you're ashamed of it, like you don't have access to what Peter is about to have access to, right? You can opt out. You can say like, Jesus, that's far enough. I'm gonna run away. Jesus will let you run away if you want to, right? So he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter's gonna answer differently than he used to though. Let's read the rest of that verse. Yes, Lord, Peter said, you, you know that I love you. We'll read the rest of that here in a second. Sometimes we think of humility, sometimes we think of humility as talking down about yourself or acting like you're worse than you really are. Like the humble thing for Peter to say is like, no, I'm a terrible person. If I loved you, I wouldn't have said all that bad stuff when you needed me. Peter says like, yes, I do love you. Like Peter is open about who he is, but in the past, he used to say things and the qualification was his own devotion or his own confidence. The thing that he's giving as his qualification right now is like, Jesus, you know. Like his, he says what's true about himself, but he defers it or stands it on Jesus. Sometimes we don't feel comfortable in front of Jesus to talk the way maybe we talk to the other people that are close to us in our life. Because when we're talking to Jesus, if we believe that Jesus is the son of God and he's all powerful and he's all knowing, then he knows our stuff, right? And sometimes something we might tell our wife or we might tell our best friend, we don't say it quite the same way to Jesus because we've, he knows. And if you see an inconsistency between how you talk to everybody else and how you talk to Jesus, here, Peter's not bragging, but there's a humbleness of like, Jesus, you know all things, and I, I do love you. But there's not a bunch of promises and a bunch of bragging about being better than everyone else. You see that the failure has cut out the pride that was in Peter. But rather than running away, he brings that wound to Jesus, right? And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus himself in John 10 had said, I'm the good shepherd. This idea of like Jesus' role is to be our pastor, to be our shepherd. But here Jesus is saying to Peter, like, do you love me? And here's what I'm calling you to do, to take care of other people. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? We'll go on to the next verse or next part of the verse. Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says the same thing again. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now there's a little bit of difference in the Greek here about like sheep and lambs. 
and two different words for love that come up, and what I could read on it was basically people that were looking at these passages that were speaking ancient Greek didn't make a big deal out of those little differences. The heart of this was Jesus' repetition that he's going to do and this issue of love and of feeding of sheep, right? So let's read on to verse 17. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Read this next part. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Again, you got to know the context. Sometimes you overhear a conversation between best friends and you don't realize like, oh, that was really hurtful or like that really like, because you don't know the context. But here you say the same question, do you love me three times to the guy that three times betrayed you? It's right out there in the open, right? Like Peter was already thinking about it but now they're talking about it. Because sometimes when we've made a huge mistake, we want to kind of like skip around it and get to the good connection again. But if we don't really face it, then it's still kind of there in our mind. Like things aren't quite right between us. But here Jesus brings it right out in the open. Like Peter's done something wrong, and Jesus is going to bring it up. Well, like, I, I know what you did. But he's going to bring it up in a way not to insult him or shame him. Some of us are, are scared to bring up our shame because we've been abused by somebody else. They've used that to hurt us more. Jesus here is bringing this up to heal Peter's shame. He says, Simon, do you love me? Peter just says again, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Let's read the last part of the verse. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Peter, second thing I want to point out, Peter, first thing is his failure really opened him up, right? He brought his real, his real self to Jesus. Second thing I want to bring up, though, is Peter knows himself. Peter knows, like, I do love Jesus. For a lot of us in the room today, like, do you really know yourself? Or when it comes to your failures, do you sweep them aside real quick? And even though there's a pattern of you not wanting to do the same failures over and over, you tend to keep doing the same failures over and over. And if someone stopped you and said, why do you keep doing that? you wouldn't have a reason that explains the pattern. You'd have an excuse, but you wouldn't have a reason. It's because you don't know yourself. So to back this up a little bit, tell you a little bit from my own life, Peter spent some quality time with Jesus, did the breakfast thing, and then he's vulnerable with Jesus that opened him up, right, to this conversation. I can remember being in some woods, this was more than a decade ago, and I was angry with God because I'd been failing and failing and failing and I couldn't get better. And I remember being mad and having a conversation mad at God that he wouldn't just like fix me. And I remember, my, I remember, my, I remember God and Jesus giving me not the whole story or this lightning bolt that I wanted, but this idea of like, Jake, there's something deeper going on. 
And we're going to get at all of it, not just a little bit of it, which just wasn't what I was looking for, right? Like a lot of times we got one problem, we want it fixed. We don't want a whole bunch of roots and mess pulled up, right? But I didn't really know myself very well. And Jesus led me to an accountability group where I got with some other guys and started talking about like, here's how I'm failing over and over and over. And those guys started to push me to have conversations that hurt, that I'd avoided, right? Jesus gets into a conversation with Peter here that Peter probably would have avoided if he could have. Do you have somebody in your life that helps you face things that you don't have an easy time facing? On Wednesday nights, we're doing scuba. That's like these confession groups that's working for some folks. You can jump into that still if you want to. If you're not doing that, like, are there friends in your life who push you to have conversations you don't want to have about why you're failing in some area of your life? Because if nobody's pushing you into conversations you don't want to have, if no one's having you take an honest inventory, like, do you really know yourself? Here's the third thing I want to talk about. Jesus brings up with, with Peter. So that accountability group eventually pushed me to like a Jake, you should try this, you should try that, like to succeed, right? And eventually they pushed me of like, Jake, you should go to counseling. One of the guys in that group had been to counseling that had really helped him, Christian counselor that helped him. And I thought like, I don't, I don't need to do that, right? Like, that's great for other people. It's not needed for me, right? Uh, whether it's counseling or not, how many people have done that? Like, that's a great solution for someone else. But I, I don't actually need that level of help, right? Like, I'm not that bad off. It's easy to tell ourselves that, right? Until you got a group of people and you're like, I keep messing up. And at some point, you've run out of excuses, right? And you got to either just become dishonest or leave the group. Like, there's not a lot of options, like, at some point, right? So... I remember I'd set up this appointment to go and see this guy, and this is not like me. Normally when I like set up something, like I just, I go do it. It's not normally hard once I've decided to do it. I remember leaving my apartment, or getting ready to leave, I'm all ready to go, and then I sat back down on my couch. And not because there was any reason, except I just didn't want to go. Which was, it was weird to like face that, like why am I sitting on this couch right now? I don't, I don't want to go. <laughs> and uh, it's a crossroads moment, right? Like you, want, you say you want to change. You take a bunch of steps to change, and then the change gets real hard for whatever reason. It might not be counseling for you, but you run into something that you're like, huh, I, I've never experienced this much resistance inside of myself before. Well, you're on the cusp of becoming a different person if you will push through that resistance, right? But if you stay on the couch and run away, like you're not changing. I mean, we, can, we all see that real clearly, right, on the outside. But it's hard to get up off of the couch, right? For me, I needed like the accountability group and the shame of that to push me, like I gotta go through with this, right? Which was good for me. Like whatever, if you got a limp, like you might as well have a cane, you know, like just get, through, get to where you need to go, right? Like 
no shame in that, right? Like, so I went, right? And it was super helpful to me, right? Because that guy helped me face a bunch of stuff I didn't want to talk about in a way where Jesus could work on me to heal my inside condition, at least of some stuff. So Jesus here is showing Peter, Peter, you said a bunch of bragging stuff and you've had to rip out a bunch of your pride, but the truth is, Peter, you do love me and I do have something for you to do. And Peter could have gone his whole life doubting himself and doubting his calling. And instead, because of this hard moment with Jesus, Jesus heals Peter. We're in the room today, and if that failure pain is strong in you, like you're in the right spot to say, Jesus, I'm not okay on my own. Jesus, I need you to heal me. And like it's going to be look different for Chad than it's going to look for Zach, than it's going to look for Matt, right? And it's going to look for Tony. And we can go all around the room. But I can also tell you like Jesus can be trusted with that vulnerability. You can open it up to him. So I want to take us a little bit of a weird direction. If you'll go on a sidetrack with me. Because some people in the room haven't got a lot of message today because they think, like, I'm doing pretty good. My failures were all 20 years ago or something, like, right? Like, I'm pretty successful. Maybe I'm not going to be like Peter and say it, but, like, I've had a lot of success lately. I've got this slide here. I'm going to read you guys this quote. So blind success is what it says up there. Here, I got a challenge for you because some of us are not in Peter's spot. We're in a different spot today. So there's this guy, Richard Feynman. He's like a scientist, won a Nobel Peace Prize in the 60s. Really smart. But when he was pretty young, it was during World War II, and he got approached of like, you're really smart. Why don't you help us develop the atomic bomb? And so he had to deal with that. Like, do I do that or do I not? And I came across an interview with him where he's talking about the whole deal. And I'm not too worried about the atomic bomb this morning but there's a principle here that if you've been rolling with some success lately, like you need to hear something that he draws out here, okay? So he talks about like the atomic bomb was kind of a scary realization that it was possible. It's like if it's possible for us to do it, then it would be possible for the Germans to do it. And he's like, well, if the Germans, you know, I want to save civilization, these, you know, his exact words was, therefore it was very important to try to cooperate. Then let me read, this is his words. He says, with regard to moral questions, I do have something I would like to say about it. Because the original reason to start the project which I had, which was the Germans were a danger, started me off on a process of action, which was to try to develop this. First the system in Princeton, then at Los Alamos, to try to make the bomb work. There were all kinds of attempts to redesign, to make it a worse bomb or whatever, and so on, and all working all the time to see if we could make it go. And so it was a project in which we all worked very, very hard and all cooperating together. And with any project like that, you continue to work to trying to get success, having decided to do it. 
And I want to pause here because here's the big part of this quote. So what he's saying is we're all, we decided like Nazi Germany is this huge threat. Let's get these super smart people together. Try, 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 try. Here's the part I have bolded. Here's the part to pay attention to you. He said, but I, what I did immorally, I would say, was not to remember the reason that I said I was doing it. So that when the reason changed, which was that Germany was defeated, not the single thought came to my mind at all about that. That meant now that I had to reconsider while I'm doing this, I simply didn't think, okay? So this is like super genius physician, or not physician, uh, physicist, and he's saying, I, I just didn't think. Now, what's so dangerous about that is when you decide I need to do something and you start trying really, really hard and you get a group of people around you even and you're all headed the same direction and you're trying and you're trying and you're trying, it's easy to lose sight of why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? We'll read you a touch more because, I'm, yeah. So we could debate like crazy about like Hiroshima and all this stuff and what should have happened and I can see a lot of reasons for a lot of things. But this guy I think is so, this guy had a unique experience. So he goes on to say, the only reaction I remember, perhaps I was blinded by my own reaction, was a very considerable, this is talking about after the bomb had gone off in Hiroshima, a very considerable elation and excitement. And there was going to parties and people got drunk and it would make a tremendously interesting contrast of what was going on in Los Alamos at the same time as what was going on in Hiroshima. I was involved in this happy thing and also drinking and drunk and playing drums, sitting on the hood of a bonnet of a Jeep and playing drums and excitement and running all over Los Alamos at the same time as the people were dying and struggling in Hiroshima. So that's, so you see this picture of this like fairly young scientist and he gets drunk and he's playing drums on top of a Jeep, like as a bunch of other people are dying. But he set off to do something and he accomplished it, but he didn't stop at any point and ask again, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Now, none of us have been asked by the government to make like a weapon of mass destruction, at least I'm aware of, like, typically it's not us that they come to, right? Like, uh, and there's big, heavy stuff that gets put on people's shoulders. So again, I'm not trying to judge people from World War II era, but the thing that scared me about him is there's a lot of people that decided to do something years ago and they've lost sight along the way of why are they doing what they're doing. And I want to put us this slide up of Jesus' question to Peter. He said, do you love me? And then he said, feed my sheep. And there's some folks that have success in life, right? Like you've raised good kids. You've got a marriage that's working. You've got plenty of stuff to fill your time. But it's worth asking the question freshly, do I love Jesus? Like if you're experiencing success in life, 
you still got to face the question of like, am I doing the things I'm doing because I love Jesus? Or am I doing them because a bunch of us are working together and we're having success? You can go with decades and decades of success in a lot of different areas in this world, even religious areas, and then wake up one day and have a bunch of regret. And that's the thing about Feynman is like you can feel the regret for him at least, right? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. So if you're here today and you're feeling like, man, I've really blown it. I've really messed stuff up. I want you to know Jesus is the type of guy who wants to sit down with you and really talk with you. And he loves you and he's not trying to shame you. He is going to bring up whatever needs to get brought up so you can be whole, so you can be healed. And Jesus has a purpose for you. It's like Jesus has a purpose for Sean, right? Jesus has a purpose for each person who comes to him. So if you're here today and you're feeling like a failure, I want you to know like Jesus cares about what you think of him. And Jesus has something good for you to do. But if you came into the room and you're thinking like, well, all these other failures in the room, they need some encouragement, right? Like I got stuff together. I think the question from Jesus, like maybe you just weren't ready for it because of your success. But like the question is worth facing. Like, do you love Jesus today? Are you doing what you're doing because you love Jesus? Because when you love Jesus, and you can be open and honest with Jesus about that, then you're ready to help other people. Like Jesus does want us helping other people. Like that's what he tells Peter to do. I'm pretty sure there might be details different, but he's gonna tell Enrique, like help other people, right? But the first thing, the foundation, you can't get anywhere without it, is do you love me? That's the most important thing that Jesus is gonna ask you. And so we've got a baptism today. I've run us right up till noon, so I'm sorry for that, guys. But we do have one baptism. I'm excited for Hayden to come up and get baptized. Baptism is a ceremony where we say, Jesus, I'm dead to my old ways, and I've got a new life with you. And if you're here today and you're like, I feel like a failure, I want you to see this and realize, like, Jesus is offering new life to you today. But if you're here today and you haven't been excited about Jesus lately, I want you to see, like, you haven't outgrown this. We all need to die to ourselves and accept new life as a gift from Jesus, right?